Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, it's episode 177. Today is August 20th, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, and Mr. Blake Arnsdorf is out this week, but I am joined today again by Aaron Ritchie. Hello, welcome back to the show. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I had so much fun with you. I guess it was, what, like two months ago. I think we had you on in July. Is that right? Time um, is not real anymore. June? I don't know. It was it was sometime recently. Uh, we had so much fun. I wanted to have you back on the show, uh, fill in for Blake while he is out. Um, we got some great news stories to talk about this week. And actually, we're going to be talking about working from home, where this remote work and kind of how it's impacting us uh, in terms of productivity, happiness, uh, all that stuff. Um, but first, I got to talk about some programming notes here, and then we'll get into how you've been. Uh, but I do want to mention uh, last week, we did do these HFES president-elect candidate interviews. Those are in the hopper. Be sure to check those episodes out if you haven't already. Uh, Blake and I had a ton of fun talking to Chris Reed and Camille Paris. Um, that election deadline for HFES 2020 is approaching. Uh, you want to make sure you vote by August 24th if you're a full member. And the link is included in those interview episodes. Uh, and so go go check that out. And you should be it should be emailed to you as well. So again, if you've never voted in one of these, take a listen because those were incredibly informative for uh, both Blake and myself uh, to kind of peel back that curtain and see what's going on behind the scenes. Um, Aaron, I wanted to bring this one up because uh, I wanted to kind of pick your brain and see if you saw any of these, if any of these things look good to you. Uh, HFES announced their annual meeting workshops. Uh, just today, I think. Um, and so uh, those workshops include measuring situation awareness in individuals and teams, effectively conducting remote risk assessments, ergonomic certification, who, what, when, where, why, and how. Uh, the next one is unlocking the potential of inertial measurement units for human movement studies. Then there's another one called questionnaire design, how to ask the right questions of the right people at the right time to get the information you need. Behavioral data analytics of R, home office ergonomic design, and last but not least, root cause analysis of use errors and assessment of residual risk. Aaron, have you have you taken a look at this list and, and do any of these like stand out to you as potential workshops that you'd want to attend? I mean, home office ergonomic design, I think it's something a lot of us can relate to right now. And then um, effectively conducting remote risk assessment. I'm really interested um, as we do more and more remote, you know, user working group work how how we can continue to as human factors engineers and and human factors professionals how we can continue to make sure our processes are you know scientific and have have that backing because it's it's hard for our community not being in person yeah i i would second that i think there's probably going to be a lot of attendance at those and i'd be curious to see uh i didn't look at too too deep at the details but i'd imagine that some of these uh might have limited attendance number or uh not attendance numbers like attendance caps so that way there can still kind of be some level of interaction um yeah I, I think those are really interesting i think the one um to me is i guess what i would like to know more about is the questionnaire design 
I know how to put together a really great questionnaire. I'm curious if there's any information in this workshop that I am not aware of um, or, you know, techniques or anything like that. I think that that I can geek out about questionnaires and surveys. I love that stuff. So that's that's one that's on my list for sure. Um, and then, yeah, the remote stuff is also things that I would bring up as well. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to mention that the annual meeting workshops were announced. Uh, take a look if you haven't already. Uh, HFES is going to be all digital this year, so check it out. All right, Aaron. It's been like a month or something. I don't know. It was. I think it was 170 was the episode that you were on, which would make this almost two months ago. So I, I want to know what's been going on with you since. I mean, we did mention on the show, or Blake mentioned on the show last week, that you have the Society of Women Engineers and there's this virtual open house. What's going on with all that? Yeah, so um, since we last talked, I was elected as recording secretary for the San Diego Executive Council um, of the Society of Women Engineers, and I'm really excited about it. It's a great group of women, um, and you know, don't let the women word scare you. We're we're open to all genders, whatever whatever you are, come as you are. We're happy to have you, um, but just really really great group and we had our open house tonight um and welcomed members of the community virtually to hear what SWE is all about um and we had a pretty good turnout and it it worked really well we were surprised we're all a little bit new to zoom and that's how we we hosted the the open house and we had different breakout rooms to learn about different sections of and committees that you can be on and how you can volunteer it was it was a lot of fun that's awesome. I, I'm curious, how did the Zoom breakout wor- rooms work? Did you have like a list in a meeting invite that said like, this is this breakout room? Did you like label it breakout room one and Zoom link? Uh, and then like, hey, we're going to meet for this topic in breakout room one. So like, how did that work? Our corresponding secretary has a little bit of a knack for human factors herself, um, though I'm not sure that that's her classical training. But uh, she she had the awesome idea that I readily went along with. Like, we're only going to send one link to start. People that sign up with this will receive the main room and we will go from there because it's going to confuse people. And so we sent out the main room link to everybody. And then once we were in the chat and once the original presentation was over, we posted all of the breakout rooms in the chat um, for the main room. So everybody could pick where they wanted to go. Um, they had the full list. They could open up that second Zoom window, and then they could come back at the end to the full room for a raffle. And it it went really well. I I did Jackbox games in my room. I had a, a networking and game room going on, and then Ooh, then we that's had brave. The... <laughs> Thank that's you. That's brave. Jackbox can get uh, a little crazy, I think, sometimes. Um, but but I'm I'm glad you guys had a ton of fun, and I'm glad the the kind of virtual breakout rooms worked. I know a lot of people are trying to get that type of thing to work. Uh, so any lessons learned, I'm sure, will be uh, appreciated by others. Um, I got a couple things I want to talk about. I don't want to bore you with other things. So uh, <laughs> you see the notes here. I want to let's just can you pick one and I'll just talk about it and I'll talk about the other stuff with Blake when he gets back. <laughs> um, how about the how about the scanner? Okay, so here's the thing. Recently, uh, I have purchased a 3D printer. I've talked about this on the show. Um, and I've been putting together some interesting projects. Most recently, I have uh, printed out somebody on Thingiverse, and I'll put the link down in the 
in the description on this episode, somebody on Thingiverse actually put together a really nice piece of scanning kit for uh, 3D modeling. So the idea here is that you put something on a platform and there's a little crankshaft that you rotate and then the platform itself actually rotates so that way you can have your phone in a static place and it will 3D model it. Here, I will show you, Aaron, since you are on video chat with me. I am rotating the crankshaft and it is rotating the platform. You put the phone you know, back here. And again, if you're listening to this, go check it out on Thingiverse. It is a very, very efficient piece of kit. Now, the problem that I have with it is that when I'm trying to use this, this 3D scanner technology... Um, on my phone, I am using an app called Clone, and it's spelled Q-L-O-N-E. Um, I, I have an inkling of what's wrong, but when I went to go scan an object, it turned out like total trash. And I'm like, I, I, I think I'm gonna try to post a picture in Slack because it's just kind of comical how different it is from the real thing. Aaron, I'll, I will show you here. That is the object that I scanned. Mm-hmm. You're able to see that okay? Yeah. And now, I want to show you what the ag- object actually looks like in reality. So it's <laughs> it's quite a big difference, right? I think uh, this <laughs> didn't do quite that great of a job, and I have a suspicion why. So Clone uses uh, one of these 3D... It's like a... It's not a 3D mat. It's, it's basically a, um, a printable version of of a uh, like QR code almost that has a bunch of squares, black and white on it, that indicate to the app where that object is in relation to the mat. Now you can see on this that I've, I've taped that mat to this 3D scanner uh, object that I just talked about that I printed out. And everything works fine. Um, the mat does not interfere. The problem is that I had to scale the mat down to fit it on the scanner. And I think the problem is with the scaling. So when I put something on, right, I mean, you could imagine like a full page, a full page scanner is a lot bigger than this one that has to fit on this uh, tiny scanner. And so I think what's happening is it's confusing scale and it's not quite registering because it's not has, it doesn't have as high as high of a resolution uh, as the larger mat. So I think that's what's going on. It's very frustrating though, because I'm trying to find a 3D app or, or an app that allows me to capture 3D, um, basically capture a 3D file of like smaller objects that I can put on this platform. And this one's not working for me. Uh, so that's that. I'm going to go ahead and leave it there. Um, <laughs> it's very frustrating when it something doesn't work. When it sounds like it should work, like I thought the mat was the was the thing. If I'm curious like, if scaling is an issue, if you hold your phone too far away from the mat while you're doing it, will it also be a problem, or is it right. literally? I think just that's part fidelity? of it too, right? I think that's part of it too because if 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 the phone is within a certain range, it doesn't even detect the mat, and I think it thinks it's too far away. But really, the mat's just smaller, so it's it's. It's probably an issue with the scaling. I don't know. If anyone's out there that has experience with a 3D scanning app, uh, let me know because I'd be happy to try out a couple things. I heard good things about this, but I'm not impressed. Um, it, it might just be user error with that scaling, though. It's never user um, error when you're a human factors engineer. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, I have other things that I want to talk about, too. Actually, you know what? I will talk about one other thing 
uh, because I threw it in here. Um, and we were talking about HFES earlier, but HFES actually released this justification toolkit, and I thought this was really cool. I just want to let our listeners know. Uh, they basically put together this toolkit to kind of help you justify the cost of attendance and the benefits that you get, you know, and this comes complete with like language to use to your employer or a cost calculator for you um, and everything that you really need. And it's 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 really neat. I Go check it out. I think uh, I'll put a link to that in the description below as well. Um, That's really cool. It's really cool. Right. Like it's always kind of. Uh, Tools to I, advocate I mean, you could, for yourself are always a good could, thing. That's yeah. a great skill to have. I mean, yeah, you, you could can probably learn from that and not just use it for HFES, but what else do you need to, to ask about, you know? Right. And I think like it's um, you could put something together, right? Anyone could put something together. But this is like this is I would assume probably researched by a couple people and, you know, put some thought into what this toolkit actually is. Um, and probably it makes sense some from psychology behind it. Yeah, that would mean it would make sense to put some effort into researching a justification toolkit to drive attendance to, you know, something for your own organization. So uh, <laughs> that's all I have to say. All right. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show? That's right. This is the part of the show all about human factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This could be anything from medical, privacy, security, robotics. Uh, we got we got some working and working from home and uh, productivity this week. As long as it relates to the field of human factors, it is fair game. Aaron, what do we have up first this week? So this week we're talking about working remotely, making you happier. An article by Mental Floss. A recent survey reported by Forbes suggests that remote workers feel happier and more productive than their colleagues who trek to the office. So the report included answers from 509 full-time remote workers alongside data from a broader pool of 200,000 employees working in various arrangements. So this is pretty pretty interesting to me because I'm working from home right now. I actually finally made the full switch and went to work and picked up my monitors today. I'm no longer just a laptop kid. Um, and I'm I'm wondering how this will impact the future of companies and workers and everything else. It seems it seems kind of like a win-win if workers are happier and you know a company can potentially save money by not having to pay for office space. Like is this is this the future of the world? Do we need to start spreading awareness on how to make your desk ergonomic? I think yeah. I think it absolutely is mostly, um, you know, obviously there's some jobs that require being there in person, but I think for a lot of it, like at least from my experience. So um, to recap for anyone who may not have been listening over the last couple months, um, I don't even know if I even announced it on the show, but I actually changed jobs back in February and it was a full remote gig. Uh, and that was part of the appeal to me, right? This was February right before COVID went down and, um, or, you know, right before, at least in the U.S., is where we started taking it seriously and then didn't take it so seriously after that. So uh, it's it's right around that time, right? And so, um, you know, I kind of, I feel like I had kind of a two-week head start on working from home versus everybody else. Um, I have a three-monitor setup, and uh, I feel like my productivity has shot up incredibly from, like, working from home. Um, and in terms of the happiness, I can totally attest to that. 
uh, because, you know, I have a young son. And to be able to jump off a meeting, go and, you know, hug and kiss my son for, you know, a couple minutes before my next thing, instead of a break where maybe I'd go to the bathroom or something. I still do that here, but, like, you know, I can I can hug and kiss my son on the way, and it's amazing. And, you know, like, if if my wife needs to, you know, do something around the house, I can hold him while I'm on a meeting and I'm still listening. It's, it's incredible. Um, and I know some people don't work that way. And there are some things that work for some people and there are some things that work for other people. And I'm, I, I understand that. And some people really like being in the office and that's fine. If that's how you work better. Um, there's a little bit more of a separation for those type of people, right? It's like, I'm leaving the house to go to the office and I do work at the office and I don't bring that home and that's fine. For me, I have a little nook that I go to for work um, and I can't kind of keep it out of the way and, you know, I don't really do much else there. I podcast here, but I feel like that's almost work-related. It's professional development. It's it's all related to my work and, um, you know, I, I do other things here too. It's, it's a workspace though. And so I'm always basically doing work at the station. I think it's, uh, just for me, working from home has, um, dramatically increased my productivity because I don't have to, even though there's more meetings, I feel like I get more done and the happiness is just there. You're not alone. According to the survey, 91% of workers felt they were able to get more work done remotely than they would working in an office. And that's I, an incredible percentage. I would, I would have to agree. I think there is something to the nook though. Um, I've heard that from a lot of my coworkers, you know, they found a spot and it, it got easier as they found a spot. You know, you go there, you can step away from it, get in a different mindset where I've been kind of couch surfing the last couple months and it's like, hmm, am I going to be more productive in the recliner today or on the sofa? I'm, right. I'm digging this new little desk spot, but I, I think, I think so too. Like you can eat actual food, you know, you can cook in your own kitchen during the day, prep, prep some nice healthy stuff instead of trying to pack and eat a cold lunch or yeah. pack something you can heat up. And, you know, I can take a break and, like, I don't have kids, but I have dogs, and I love being around them. Um, you can hug and kiss your dog. Yeah. On your break. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Or or even have a co- have your dog be your coworker and just kind of sit next to you while you're working. It's awesome. Yeah. My cat comes and st- sits on my lap sometimes while I work. Um, I, I, I will say the, the health benefits, too. Like, I was telling you before the show, like, I have started eating incredibly healthy since working from home, and... You know, have I would consider myself healthier where I am now than where I was in February by a long shot. Uh, I don't want to give any specific numbers, but I'm definitely on the right trajectory. And that, yeah, you're right. Like being able to step away and just cook something really quick and have an ear out for like any messages that might happen. So you still have that awareness of what's going on. You can just cook something and then you don't have to worry about the packing. You don't have to worry about the commuting in the morning. Uh, there, I, I would be lying if I said there weren't some days where I just rolled out of bed and into a meeting and that's okay. Like, Oh yeah. And especially when you are in Southern California, like the two of us, a commute is, a commute is a lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) When, When you live in the Midwest, which is where, where I hail from, you know, there can, you can go across town to work and it's 15 minutes. It's not a big deal. There's parking everywhere. 
you know, but here right. when you're driving an hour, an hour and a half every morning to get what would be 15 minutes in the Midwest, it, it, it takes a chunk. And that's like, you know, five hours of my life, three to five hours of my life back a day that I can spend with my family or take the dogs for a walk or yeah. Like, you you brought up a point. I just I some people might not know this, but um in California, we measure distance to places in time. Um and it often is like oh, it could take, you know, 20 minutes to an hour, and it the time can range drastically based on time of day. Um other parts of the United States, they they say miles, and everyone kind of has a sense of how long it takes. But here, it, yeah, it, we measure things in time. It's kind of crazy. Uh, that we do it that way. And what um, time of day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's conditional statements around everything. Uh, yeah, I, I really like this article here from Mental Floss. I think, you know, they have some additional um, uh, some additional research on here that, um, you know, suggests that, you know, Harvard Business Review actually found that remote workers took less breaks and sick days and were more productive by the minute. I will attest to that, too. I've not taken a sick day or a vacation day since I've been working from home. It's like uh, it's a little different right now with COVID. It's like, where am I going to go? So why do I need to? I can sit here and do it. And, you know, I think just in the long run, I would love to live somewhere not as congested as California. I would love to live um, potentially, you know, in a place with a uh, with weather and seasons and that type of thing, right? Uh, where I don't have to battle traffic everywhere I go, um, where housing is not incredibly expensive. Uh, and I think a lot of people do. A lot of people in cities think that way as well. And, you know, as long as you have good internet, you can live anywhere, and still do your job. And I think that's another really appealing thing uh, for people working from home. You know, unless you have like some percentage where you have to be on site, even then, you know, if the percentage is like maybe one month out of the year, you just travel. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of a really interesting shift, maybe thinking away from human factors for a hot second, um, but maybe it is human factors just in a different form. You know, how does this affect all of the systems that we're a part of and all of the things in place? If 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 we get more and more remote work and you have people living in Kansas and working out of California because that's where their job was before they started, but they go back home to be by their family, you know, how does that how does that change taxes? How does that change, you know, everything that we've we've started to become the norm it's just really interesting um, the domino effect that that this could have, really, right? Because human factors is about making things easier on people, helping to to make people happier, you know, less stress. Um, so if this if this is the way we're going, if this is the less stress option, like what else changes in response to that? It's really interesting to explore. Right, and I think that's totally human factors. That that thing that you just described there having all these systems change dramatically because of the way the world is changing. Um, I think that ensures us human factors, professionals uh, job security. I think, you know, we are going to be the ones that help figure that out. We're going to be the ones that say, you know, maybe not the taxes thing, but the process, right? How do you employ someone out of state that, 
would work for your company in another state? How do you, um, you know, how do you, how do you do all that stuff? How do you get there? Like, how do you make things safe with sharing information, you know, cybersecurity aspect? Um, how do you interview them? How do you know exactly. what they're like? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you get a feel for somebody's personality and work ethic and effectively do that process when you, when you don't meet them in person? And then, and then there's another piece of it too that we'll have to battle as well. Like, um, like stereotypes or, or discrimination against those who live in certain states, certain areas, um, just because they're remote. And that's already a problem with areas locally to the employer, but it's going to be, I feel, a little bit harder to sell someone on you working remotely if you're not within, you know, an hour from a major airport or something like that, right? It's like, somebody might discriminate against you because you you can't meet that requirement or is, is it really discrimination? Is it part of the job uh, description that you have to travel and you have to be able to get to a major airport uh, or it, you have to be willing to do that? Um, so there's, there's a lot of things to consider there, right? Traditionally, I mean, there's been that kind of expectation because we've been expected to be in the workplace. And so I... I would imagine that, you know, human factors goes both ways, right? There's there's the human factors of the, the direct user, and then there's the secondary users. And in this case, the employer, perhaps, is that secondary user. And so they, they have a need that needs to be met as well. And so how do you how do you combine both of those things in the in the new in the new working world, the post COVID world? Yeah, it's it's a lot to think about. Um I do ah there's another really good article. I don't want to get into it. Um I'll just mention it briefly. There's a, another article by Fast Company. They actually put together how companies are going to adjust um sort of measuring the productivity piece of of working from home. And that is another interesting piece of it that we kind of touched on here. Um, but it, it seems like, you know, they, they think that businesses will kind of embrace this flexibility, um, and automation will kind of be more uh, prevalent in this type of, uh, post COVID world. So those are just points that I also wanted to bring up. Um, again, we're not going to deep dive on that one, but, uh, again, it's, it's, it's interesting from both perspectives, both the employer and the employee. Agreed. It's. Yeah. And it's changing frequently. <laughs> who knows what's around the corner? Yeah, who who knows? Who knows? We could have uh, you know, oh, but some listeners might not know. There are like firestorms and thunderstorms here in California as well. Not where we live, thankfully, but uh uh 2020, could you just cool down for a minute cuz like we it's, did it's getting we did get some lightning here last night, Nick. I'm not going to lie. I was very confused. There's only been I've been in Southern California for almost two years now. And I have only experienced a thunderstorm here once. And watching lightning roll in last night was the most bizarre experience I've had. I got a little excited. I was hoping for like a Midwest style thunderstorm. It did disappoint. The rain never came, but the weather is doing crazy things here. 
It's yeah. We just 2020 just needs to cool down. All right. Anything <laughs> else on this article here, Aaron, before we move on? No, I think we about covered it. All right. Well, I just want to thank our friends over at Mental Foss for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to all the original articles in our Slack as we find them. So join us over there for more discussion. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. That Patreon commercial has it all, except for the new stuff. I I realize the Patreon commercial doesn't have the new stuff, so I just want to make sure uh, that we're well aware. Uh, What... I have here in the notes to to pick two, Aaron. What which one should I pick? One, two, or three? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this one up to the guest. Two. You're gonna pick, you're gonna pick two. I need I uh, okay. We're just gonna go with two. Uh, Human factors minute. That's a plug. Um, we uh, did a uh, we do this weekly show that's a minute long uh, for all of our Patreon subscribers. And it basically is a condensed down uh, quick lesson on a topic from human factors that you might find interesting. Um, and so, uh, you know, we we've put a lot of effort into this. We've had we've have episodes planned uh, through at least uh, sometime next year um, and have tons in, you know, recorded uh, for your listening pleasure. So if you're if you're new to Patreon, um, we welcome you. I do want to say over the last month, we kind of talked on the aging technical group for HFES. We talked about HFE woman, which ties in nicely to your women engineers. Um, we also talked about meta analysis and human factors applications of surveys and questionnaires. Uh, so it's a ton of fun. Uh, join us over there on Patreon if you haven't already. All right, we're going to move on. Um, I will say, I, I will say one more thing. I'm going to, I'm going to veto. We do have, uh, you might see a new fresh look on Patreon. We did, uh, put some more effort into, uh, kind of clarifying some of the tiers and what you get at each one. So go check it out. If you're down to help the show, it really helps us out, support some of the costs that, you know, it requires us to, for hosting, um, the podcast and doing these weekly shows, everything that you do comes right back into it. It's, it's a way to financially support the show. Uh, if you can't do that, then there's always other ways like letting other people know about the show that helps too, or leaving a review so others can find the show. All right. Enough of me rambling about Patreon. We're going to get into this next part of the show. We like to call it came from, it came from, that's right. It came from, well, a lot of places this week. We, we usually get our things from Reddit, but we got two sources this week. We got Slack and 
uh, Reddit. This is part of the show where we search all over the community to talk about stuff uh, that has captured the attention of others. Uh, so we got one from our own Slack community this week. Daniel Sullivan was nice enough to post a breakdown of the UX of LEGO UIs, and we thought it was too fun to kind of pass up. This is more of a article, I guess, if you will. Um, but it is, it, it, it's not really news. It's just kind of fun to look at the user experience of all these Lego pieces. Uh, and it kind of breaks them down by like, um, you know, how, how organized they are, uh, how much screen is on it, you know, as well as some of the inputs and, um, displays that are actually on these things. Um, they even go into sort of the organization of the controls and displays. Um, and so, Aaron, did you have a chance to look at this? What do you think? Yeah, um, I was really interested kind of. So they have these two key questions that they use to, to break down the problem. Um, they, they asked, how can we differentiate between the function of different inputs? And how can we organize the many inputs and outputs so that we understand how they relate to each other? So these two questions kind of came out of this this activity and also seems to be used to organize them. And um, as, as someone who is a human factors professional and is into designing interfaces myself, I, I was like, maybe I should add these questions to my, (laughs) to my repertoire of what I'm considering. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a fun look uh, at Legos. I don't want to get too deep into it. No, no super deep discussion on this one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a ton of fun and they actually compare it to some real, uh, life examples, uh, like the B-17, uh, aircraft and, and, uh, some of the, uh, Ford Lincoln, uh, parking assist engine start stop button stuff. Uh, so they, they got some actual real life examples in there and compare the controls. They even talk about like size coding, shape coding, color coding, texture, uh, position and operation coding, which I thought it was kind of cool to see kind of the differences in Lego um, displays. And, you know, I, I strongly suspect that the people that actually made the initial Lego were just kind of slapping things on there that emulate a real life interface. And so it, it kind of translates well. Um, I got to, I got to ask you one more question, Aaron, of the interfaces that you see on this, this page which one is your favorite like which which one's your favorite lego interface and and why Ooh. to be honest i like the i like the three panel one in the in the organized no screen column um the three panel one in the organized no screen fo- if you're following along i'm sure you'll know what it is um let's see here what's the the three panel oh at the very top there I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, that it's, one is kind of longer. It's yeah, it's kind of like old school meets new school because we're headed into this world where we're understanding, you know, how do we react to multiple screens? Do we need less? Do we need more? Um, but that's a it's a multiple interface without the screen. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of an interesting <laughs> use case. So I my my favorite one is the it's like a gray and it ha, it's it's clearly a cockpit um, interface where you have uh, the radio on the left you have indicators across the top you have the altimeter uh, the um, 
uh, oh shoot, I'm I'm gonna get reamed by some of our aviation folks about the one that tells you how close you are to the horizon uh, in terms of orientation, and I don't know what that's called. I'm I'm gonna get it. <laughs> Write your hate mail to <laughs> Human Factors Cast at, at show. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then uh, it's got some that. panels on the right, but that's my that's my favorite because I actually had that Lego as a kid, and that was my favorite piece of UI to put on any of my um like lego ships that i built that was my favorite one um so a long-rooted history here in human factors speaking of legos as a kid i also played with legos as a kid and i came across this cool um blurb on linkedin the other day there's a letter that um lego included i guess with their product back in the 70s that talks about how you know you can build and create and do what you want with legos um sweet actually Society of Women Engineers actually recently reshared it, so you can see it on their LinkedIn page if, if you can't find mine. But um, it talked about like, how creating is for both boys and girls. And, you know, some boys like to make dollhouses with Legos because they're more interesting than giant weird mechanical structures. And some girls like to make really complicated mechanical things because they're more interesting than dollhouses and we all like different things and Lego is a toy for all. And um, it, it was just kind of a neat, a neat connecting. And I kind of reflected on how like I used Legos as a kid and I bet they played a role in how I became an engineer. Yeah. I really love that. I love how Legos can be for anyone. Um, bef- before we continue, I just want to jump in here and stop everyone's hate mail right away. Uh, I, I really brain farted on that hard. So I just want to clarify, I was talking about the attitude indicator. Um, and this is really embarrassing because I want to start getting into Flight Simulator, which was another one of my banter points that I didn't quite talk about, but maybe next week. Um, so it's the attitude indicator. Okay. Uh, with that, um, I think uh, I think we'll get into this next one here. Any last thoughts on Lego? No, I think I'm good. All right. So this next one here is called... Uh, HF with UX. Um, and this was posted by user Yim, Jimard? GM Jermed? I'm sorry if I'm messing that up. This one's from the Human Factor subreddit. So this is uh, JRMD? Yeah, it's J I A M R D. Jimard. Anyway, uh, they go on to write. Hey, y'all, I have a question to ask here. I'm starting my master's in in human factors next month, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do once I graduate. I'm seeing a lot of jobs that are searching for those who have experience with human factors and UX. Uh, Do you think it's necessary to get UX experience along with human factors? If not, what are some of the other routes I can take a gander at before graduating? Thanks. Aaron, what do you think? Human factors, UX, what's the overlap? Is there overlap? Are they the same thing? What's going on? Okay, so there's overlap, but as our field grows, they're becoming more and more distinct. Um, so in in my world, I re- I relate more to the the word human factor. That's the that's what I was raised up in, and I think that sometimes that can connect more to the physical things, whereas UX tends to connect more to design and to to user interface. Um, if you know, a, a quick Google will kind of give you a little more specifics on this. And there are some differing opinions within the community, I really feel. Um, but I th- I think if you really know your key 
applied cognitive science principles, you could probably do a great job in in either distinct field. But um, there's a slight difference. Knowing more about interface and computer science usually goes with UX. Would you agree? Yeah, I well, kind of. I so I think both inherit the same skill set. Yes. Um, and I think largely the difference is the application which you brought up, right? You have human factors, which to me is more systems engineering kind of type of deal, where you're looking at kind of how all these parts and pieces kind of fit together. Um, but also that's what I kind of do. So it's, uh, that's my bias, but then human factors is like, it could be a physical product. I think of controls and displays and, and all that stuff. And, but that's involved with UX and then, you know, ergonomics is still attached to it all, but it's the same process. I feel like just attached to, uh, you know, how a, a piece of product interacts with the body, um, or, you know, the human, um, I guess it's hard to enumerate these differences, but my point I'm trying to make here is that I feel like they are all the same type of skill set. If you can research something, get feedback from the people who are using that product, and then incorporate that feedback into a design, it doesn't really much matter what you call it. That is a process that you are following to get the best results for the end user. Uh, that is the process that you are following to get the best results for uh, the people who are going to be using this thing. Um, in whatever way that is. So that's kind of how I see it. Uh, I don't know. Thoughts on that? I would even argue that um, these terms can mean the same thing, but are used in different places. So um, when I first heard about human factors my junior year of high school, it was presented to me as engineering psychology. And that was the buzz term that I used to try and ask and talk about it until all of a sudden this, you know, Michigan Tech was like, oh, yeah, we know what that is. It's called human factors. That's what we do. I'm like, oh, okay. But then as I started to, you know, job search and get more familiar with the companies that existed out west and in California, the the UX buzz term is used more often. And so I, I completely agree. I think it's the same core skill set. Um, and then there might be a little bit of specialization. I'm, I'm not going to lie. If you have a computer science background, I think you can maybe flourish a little more with that UX wor- word because not only can you, I think it's interpreted that not only can you do the human factor stuff, but you might be able to create it a little bit. Um, right. is what's implied there, but yeah, same course skill set for sure. Yeah, I, I, we get this question a lot or we see this question a lot in the community and, you know, it's one of those things that we keep coming back to. Um, and, you know, I I definitely get slaps on the wrist from, um, let's say, some people who believe that there's definitely a difference and what we do is more science-y and, well, sure, but it's all in the same it's all in the same vein to, to get at that goal of helping the person. Right. And it depends on how you identify. And uh, I don't know, to me, I, I have always felt like doing this type of work, uh, doing something to, um, make a product better for somebody who's going to use that has always been, um, an inclusive field. Right. I, I also get slapped on the wrist for saying, 
anyone can do it. Yeah, no, not everyone can do it, but it's what we're trained to do, sure. But there's no reason why you can't start to teach people, like developers, your rhyme and reason and why it's better to do things in a certain way because communication is a lot of our job. And so it's like, it, I hate getting slapped on the wrist for saying stuff like that because I feel like it's absolutely not true. You can absolutely well, include anyone in this. I would agree, but I think that maybe the slap on the wrist comes from a, a job security point of view. You know, like we did go through a lot of more training than that developer will get from from learning from us. Sure. Which, you know, I could see the argument there, but um, I do think there's nothing wrong with continue, continuing to educate those that we frequently work with in those other fields because that's only going to have a better result. I often find myself, um, I like to call myself a translator between those two fields because um, I have a yeah. mechanical engineering degree and an applied cognitive science and human factors um, degree. So I, I, I've seen both worlds. I've seen how both are trained. I've seen how both think and, and it is different. Um, so I find those translations really interesting and I think they're um, an intricate part of what we do and we can definitely better educate those that, that we work with to work together to create a different product. But it is true that we have different training and we always are going to have different training probably. Yeah. But there's, I guess my point is there's no reason why you have to hold it so close to your chest and you can't share things. I think that's that's the biggest thing is, right? Anyway, I think we're getting way off topic here, but uh, don't slap us on the wrist for saying that Human <laughs> Factors is inclusive. And also, there were a ton of UX podcasts and not really that many Human Factors, so that's where we wanted to lay our stake. They are the same thing, but different. You know, it's, it's you know, the thing. All right. <laughs> Any last thoughts on this, Aaron, before we go and wrap up for today? I think we more than wrapped that. <laughs> we super wrapped it. We okay. We wrapped it. All right. Well, let's let's wrap it up. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the new story this week. You can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us over all our social channels at H Factors Podcast. Be sure to email the show at Human Factors Cast with all your hate mail that I couldn't uh, humanfactorscast.com with all your hate mail because I couldn't remember what an attitude indicator was. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, you can support us on Patreon. That's the financial way. If you have couple extra bucks to spend maybe you want to get on a human factors minute or maybe you want a you know a, a tote bag valued at 13.99 that you'd get for ten dollars maybe that's something you're into go check that out um if you can't support us financially totally understand that's no problem it is by no means a requirement uh you can always leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice that helps others find the show and of course word of mouth is always good too um, anything helps. And of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Aaron, Richie, thank you so much for filling in for Blake this week. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about interesting things like what's the difference between human factors and UX? Well, um, I'm on LinkedIn and then I'm part of the Slack. So if you're in the Slack, you can find me there. Excellent. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. 
humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.